I know that most of our kids have already uh, walked out the door, but do want to remind you that Children's Church is heading out now. I think it's grades two and below. And so we would invite you to send them on out and uh, do that. Um, If you would, I know everybody has gotten settled back down again, but before we get too settled down, let us stand so as we read the Word of God. We are going to be reading this morning from Ezekiel chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through verse 21 this morning. The Word of God says this, it says, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him and he will die, since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin and his righteous deeds, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will be required from your hand. However, If you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you have delivered yourself. Please be seated. I am uh, watching as our little ones are walking out the door and I'm glad because I have to be honest with you this morning. In fact, I have to level with you just a little bit. I am going to use some bad words this morning. And I know that, that this is a shocking thing. And when you use bad words and in a place like where I am at right now, uh, that many of you are going to be very tempted to get up and walk out of this service and possibly never want to come into this building again. I am hoping that if I inform you now that I'm about to use some bad words that, that you are probably not going to like, that it might at least give you an opportunity to prepare yourself to hopefully at least get through this message without tuning me out, okay? So kind of consider this your trigger warning, that, that, that some things are about to be said now that it's kind of all the adults in the room that are going to be very, very hard, and these are some words that, that we would consider bad words. Okay, so if we're ready... The bad words that I'm going to be using today and that I want you to be prepared for are responsibility, obligation, expectation, and duty. Bear with me. Nobody get up. We're going to get through this together. I know that we don't like these words. And I know that often in the church, we consider words like these as bad words, even curse words, when we have these conversations as a church. Words like, I've just mentioned, I'm scared to say them again, often cause us to bristle and become upset when we talk about things like faith and the church. But I have to be honest. These are biblical words. 
In fact, these are words found all over the Bible and concepts that we see riddled throughout all of Scripture. In the Bible, we find ideas and commissions and even commands that imply indeed that we have responsibilities, obligations, duties to God and the church and even to the lost. Oh no, I said those words again. One such place is in the passage that we have just read. If you will remember from weeks past, Ezekiel has just finished with a great and grand commission. He has has seen God on the move. He has looked at God seated on his throne and, and up on this amazing platform with wheels and cherubim all around him. And, and, and Ezekiel has seen all of this and he has been commissioned as a prophet. And when all is said and done, he is left where they had found him by the river, by the river Kabar. And he is dumbfounded. And so Ezekiel, after seeing all these things and after learning that he is going to be a prophet of God, he sits for seven days and he does not speak and he does not move. And I can only imagine this was an extremely unsettling experience if you were there. I don't know if you've ever had somebody kind of like that in your life, but you kind of go up to him and go, are you okay, buddy? And they don't respond and they don't do it and they just stand in awe of the glory of God and he was just there. And and it probably made the people very, very uncomfortable. And after seven days, God returns to him to confirm again the call that he has placed on Ezekiel's life. Only this time he uses an analogy to explain Ezekiel's new office as prophets. If you remember from weeks past, Ezekiel was already a priest. But now he was being called to be a prophet. And Ezekiel explains what this prophet will do by calling him a watchman. It begs the question, what does a watchman do? What is the purpose of a watchman? And to believe it or not, we can actually even go right back into the text of Ezekiel because twice in the book of Ezekiel does does God call to Ezekiel and call him to be a watchman of the people. If we jump all the way to Ezekiel 22, he actually explains what a watchman does. We see it in Ezekiel 22, verses 2 and 3. It says this, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the horn and warns the people, and then it goes on to what will happen. So God defines a watchman in this way. He is someone, often in this case a soldier or someone of importance within the community, who is tasked to going to the best vantage point of the city in order to watch the horizon. If they saw enemies coming to invade the city, or robbers or marauders or who know else that wants to do harm to the city, then their job was to sound the alarm. In Ezekiel 22, it is known as blowing the horn in order to give the city and the surrounding area enough time to run to safety, to lock down the city gates, and to prepare to defend themselves from whatever enemy is approaching. This was their responsibility. They had an obligation to the people to give them the time they needed and the warning they needed to be safe. 
In fact, I want you to notice two things that the watchman was responsible for. First, he had an obligation to keep watch. The job of the watchman was to watch. Now, that might seem silly, but we need to remind ourselves of that. His job was to keep his eyes on the horizon so that he could see the enemy the moment they creeped over the horizon. To keep constantly looking at the line in the moment that he saw armies or convoys or anything that might imply the city was in danger, he was to see it and he was to do something about it. A watchman could not go up to the highest point and take a nap. He couldn't go up to his, his place or his crow's nest, whatever it might be, and read a book or play on his phone or do whatever else would entertain him. He couldn't bring a friend up there to pass the time away so that they were not watching. We have a term for this in the church. And we see it often in the New Testament. And it is this, be alert. That was the first job of the watchman. To be alert, to be aware of what was going on in the world around them. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have to recognize that the call of a watchman is something that relates to our life in Christ. And we, as followers of Jesus, must be alert. We must be aware that there is a spiritual war going on around us, and it is looking to take the hearts and minds of not only us, but our friends and our family, our children, our co-workers, and anyone else that we might know. And we must be aware of these things. We must be alert, sober in spirit, knowing that we have a real enemy who wants to do real harm to the people of God and to everyone else as well. We cannot stick our heads in the sand. Instead, we need to be alert. Not only was the watchman called to be alert, but he was also needed to blow the horn. See, it's not enough just for, to, just for the watchman to see the enemy coming. He couldn't look out onto the horizon and see the, the, the war march coming in and see all of the troops and to see the siege towers being rolled along and catapults and who knows what else was, was present for them at that time. They had to do something about it. They couldn't look and go, oh, that looks bad. Hope they're not coming here. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll go on to Jericho. They had to do something. They had to sound an, uh, sound an alarm. The watchman had an obligation to warn the people of the coming danger. This was not, a, they did not have an opportunity. They did not have permission to do what we like to say today, which is mind their own business. It's not like they looked out and they saw the, mar the armies marching in and said, Oh, but man, I know Farmer Smith really needed to get all of those crops in today. I'll, I'll just, I'll let him get done. I'm not going to bother him. Or, oh, I thought, wasn't the king having a party today? Yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't want to be disturbed right now. Or, man, when I left the house today, my wife said she had to get some stuff done before I got home. And if I sound the alarm, she's not going to get all her chores done. And I do not want to upset my wife. I just won't say anything. 
He could not be concerned about his own business. He could not be concerned about trying to let others lead their own lives in peace and, and without his warning. Instead, he had to let the people know what was happening because danger was on the horizon. And nothing that they are going to accomplish is going to matter if the, if the, the people coming to take the city take it. Again, the church has words for this. We have, we have uh, uh, parallels to this very idea. Not only do we, are we called to be alert, but we are also called to speak the truth in love. Galatians 6.1, I think, is a beautiful example of this. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual Re, are, are to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Remember, the obligation was to warn, not to ridicule, to blame, condemn, harangue, get angry with, or anything like that. Their job was to warn. This is what they were called to do. And that's what we see in Galatians 6.1. He's saying, hey, you who are spiritual, when you see sin creeping at someone's door, when you see temptation coming into someone's life, when you see them going down a path that they may not be able to return from, it is our duty and indeed our obligation as brothers and sisters to Christ to say, hey, God doesn't want this for you. The Bible calls what you are doing and what you are thinking and how you're behaving now sin. And brother, you need to repent. And we'll notice from Galatians that it says to do so in a spirit of gentleness and humility. Proverbs 16, 24 also gives us a little insight into this when it says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bone. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have hard conversations. That doesn't mean that our job in life is just to flatter everyone so that they feel good. But rather, as we speak the truth, as we encourage people in Christ's love to be more like Jesus, as we share the good news of the gospel with a world that is, is, is dying in their sin, we do so in a, in a humble, gentle, loving manner so that they might hear the good word and be saved from it. In this way, we should be, our words should be like honeycomb. Now, I have to remind you yet again, because I do feel like this is important. We are not prophets like Ezekiel. We do not receive words from the Lord, directly from the Lord, that we are going to proclaim to other people. We don't do that. That office was, was fulfilled and completed in Christ. And we don't need those things because we have his word. And so I don't want us to think, oh, I'm just like Ezekiel, how, you know, and I'm going to do the same thing. That's not what the Bible is saying. However, we do have a responsibility to build up one another and to help one another be more like Christ. If you're in Sunday school class today, that's exactly what we talked about. That we are supposed to grow and be more like Jesus. And hopefully in the course of your conversation, like in my class, someone mentioned, you know, it's a lot better to do it together. And to do it as one body. We also have a responsibility to speak the truth in the public square in such a way that people hear the good news and get saved. 
The analogy of the watchman is the reminder that the Great Commission is our responsibility and our obligation to the church and also to the world. As I was reading the, the, the call of the watchman on Ezekiel, I, the verse that immediately popped into my head was Romans 1.14. And it says this, it says that I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the uncultured, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul did not view his call to proclaim the gospel as something that he did as a pastime. He did not view his call to share Christ with people and to plant churches as, as something that he did because, because he was just good at it and uniquely talented. He viewed it as something that he was under obligation to do. He owed it to everyone he met that they hear the truth and believe. And it moved him because he knew he had this deep-seated call on his life. And there was, he was obligated to share Christ. It was his responsibility to do so. And brothers and sisters, that is as true for us today as it was for him. There is a world around us who is dead in their sin. And God has put these people in our life and we, and I know you don't like the word and I know you think it's a bad word, but we have an obligation, a responsibility to share Christ with them. If you are a doctor and a sick, and a sick man comes into your, your uh, uh, room, examination room, and you see what's going on and you know what the, the diagnosis is and you know the medicine they need to treat that and you know exactly what to do to take this man and make him well as opposed to letting him continue on and to die, you would have an obligation to see that man made well. And if that is true for the physical body when we think of doctors, how much more true is it for the Christian when it comes to the spiritual life of those people around us? Does that mean you're going to have to save everybody? No. But we must be alert to the people that God is putting in our lives who need to hear the gospel. And we should not delegate that task to someone else. But we should say, I have an obligation to share Christ with the lost, to make known the good news of the gospel to those who God puts in my life, and to encourage those who know Christ to walk with him until they go to be with him. Oh, that we would own this obligation. That we would take it seriously. And that we would live it out. This is what the watchman was responsible for. This was their obligation and their duty. But in the midst of all this, I want you to notice something else about the watchmen. There were things that they were not responsible for. That was not their obligation or their duty. I want to bring up two to you this morning. First, the watchman is not responsible for the response of the hearer. In Ezekiel 3.19, it says this, However, if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his wrongdoing, but you have saved yourself. We see this also in Ezekiel 33, the other time the watchman is mentioned. Ezekiel 33.4 says, Then someone who hears the sound of the horn and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. 
I was reminded of a story I heard of once, and, and if you've ever worked in an office building, there are times, and at school is also, if, you've, if you are in an elementary school or you go to high school or whatever it might be, there's probably been some point in your life where they have done a fire drill, right? And you're in class, or you're in your office, or you're working, and all of a sudden the, the little strobe lights start going off, and the bells start ringing, and it's a fire drill. And probably at some point in, in prior to that, they've told you what you're supposed to do. And you have to get up and, you know, put your, you know, maybe put your stuff away. Or maybe they just say, just leave it. I'm sure they probably say, just leave it because, you know, it's fire. Um, and you're supposed to proceed out of the building in an orderly manner. And you go to the nearest stairwell and you go down the stairs and you walk out the building and you go to your assigned spot. And there's probably someone, maybe it's a classroom teacher or maybe it's a, your direct supervisor or whatever. Their job is to count everybody and to make sure that everybody's accounted for and that the building is clear. And you probably have to do those from time to time. Well, I heard a story one time that, that there was an office building and, and a fire alarm starts to go off and, and the things are flashing and the, the alarms are going off and the bells are ringing and, and they're telling everybody to proceed from the building and, and they go out and this time there was a real fire. There was a fire in the building in one of the office floors and, and as they began to go out and everybody began to go out onto the thing and they started to do their head count, suddenly they realized there was about nine people missing. And by this point, the firemen had entered into the building and they were going through and they were isolating the fire and they were going through to find these people. And finally, they go up to one of the very top floors and they open up a conference room. And in that room are nine people still having a, a meeting. And the firemen in their full gear are, open up the door and they go, what are you doing? And the head of the meeting turned and looked at the fireman and his mask and his gear and all that stuff and said, we thought it was just a drill and we've got work to do. See, it happens, doesn't it? Sometimes people sound a warning and people ignore the warning. Don't even get me started on my wife and tornadoes. When anyone speaks the truth, as we have talked about here, there's going to be a lot of responses. And when you speak the truth in love to people, you will have everything from eager acceptance, people who hear the warning, who look at the scripture that maybe you're bringing into their life and however it might have transpired, and they're going to look at you and they're going to go, oh my goodness, you're right. And they will confess and they will repent. They will hear the good news of the gospel and they will say, like the jailer did, that, that Paul spoke to, what must I do to be saved? And there is rejoicing in heaven and you have won your brother. But we also know from that eager acceptance that we go all the way to angry rejection. And that even though Paul had seen such wonderful eagerness from this jailer in Macedonia, we also know then in cities like Lystra, he was rejected and run out of town and stoned and left for dead. If Paul could not control the response of those who heard the truth from him, be certain that you cannot control the responses of others also. You do not have to lose heart. And you cannot hope to possibly know how people will respond to the truth. But know this, God does know. 
And if God has placed someone in your life, your job may be to sow, your job may be to reap, your job may just be to cast the seed on the road. But nevertheless, we can trust that God is accomplishing His perfect will when we speak truth into people's lives. We shall let the Father guide the response of those that we speak a warning to. It is our job only to sound the warning. Take heed. If we try to decide to only share Christ and to only speak truth and to the people that we think are going to be receptive, we're going to learn two things very quickly. One, you're going to be wrong a lot. I have seen some of the most spiritual people in the world respond in the flesh when they, when they got bad news. I've seen some of the most nice people become very, very cold when I shared Christ with them. You don't know how people are going to respond. And on top of that, if you decide, if you start to become the gatekeeper for who deserves to hear the gospel and who doesn't, then you are going to miss on a lot of opportunities to see God work in fantastic ways in your life. As we think about what we've done over the last three months, as we've tried to get the gospel to every home, our goal was to get the gospel to every home, not just the homes where we think people might be receptive to it. You know, I'm not going to go up, and now that we're into September and it's officially fall and all that stuff, I'm not going to go up to the house that has Halloween decorations out in front of it and say, ooh, no, they're not going to receive the gospel. But we get the gospel to every home because we want the gospel to work in every home. The second thing the watchman is not responsible for is the consequences of their response. If we look at the previous passages, we see some hard consequences for ignoring the warning of the watchman. In chapter 3, it says that they will die for their wrongdoing. And in chapter uh, tw- or 33, it says that the sword will take them away. When we see sin take hold of a person, we can be tempted to respond a couple of ways. One way that I think is unhelpful is to say, I told you so. That when someone, we speak truth in their life, we share Christ with them, we warn them of sin, and they reject our warning, and then, then the, the, the bad things may, it may not, but may fall upon them. Then our job is to be all hoity-toity and high roller and say, told you that would happen. Now look at you. Well, you made this bed, you're going to have to sleep in it. And while that might make you feel spiritually superior, it, sure, it certainly isn't calling that person to repentance, is it? It's unhelpful and unnecessary. Another response, and I think the one that this passage is specifically warning against, is to say it's all my fault. If I would have just said something different, if I would have just used slightly better words, if I would have just been a little bit more of an example of Christ, if I would have just played some more Christian music on the radio when, when they were in my car, if I would have just done this or done that or invited them one more time or whatever, maybe they would have escaped this. And I will tell you, it is not your fault. If you shared Christ with them, if you warned them of their sin, if you spoke truth into their life, into their life, it is not on you. It's on them. And every single person is ultimately responsible for their own sin as they stand before God. And so they will be without excuse. 
Rest assured, no one is going to stand before God one day, and when God says, why did you reject the gospel, are they going to say, well, that Josh fella used the three-circle method, and I would have much more preferred the Roman road. And so I didn't receive Christ that day, and it's all his fault. It's not going to happen. They're going to stand on account of their own sin, and they are not going to be able to shift the blame on anyone else. Even in our passage today, in Ezekiel 33, we see repeatedly that everyone will be judged according to their own actions and their decision to either receive or reject Christ. I love what 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, but it is also a sobering reminder for us today. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. That is a very sobering idea for us today. And one that we should not look at other people in the room to answer, but rather look to ourselves and say, how would I be if I stood before the judgment seat of Christ today? Would I say, what would I say if God were to ask me, How'd you do? What would I say if God looked me in the eye and said, why should I allow you into fellowship with me? My question for you today is, would you experience God's grace, love, and mercy? Or would you experience his judgment and wrath? Well, believe it or not, that has a lot less to do with how good or bad you've been up to this point and a lot more to do with whether you have trusted your life to Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. If you want to know if you were standing before God and whether you would experience his love and grace and mercy or his judgment and wrath, the answer could be found and summed up in one person's name, and that name is Jesus. And so we blow the horn for you today. If you want to be made right with God, that, on, that only comes through a relationship with Christ. The Bible says it this way. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We can't be good enough. We can't work hard enough. We can't even hope to try and get in uh, to a right relationship with God through our own merits. We have to put our hope and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross when he died for our sins and rose again three days later to defeat death and the grave. See, the good news of the gospel is this. The truth that we all need to hear is that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to live a perfect life in order to die a sacrificial death for your sins and for mine. And that Jesus rose from the grave three days later. And when we make him the Lord of our lives, all our sins are paid in full. And we receive a righteousness from Christ that we did not earn. And if we believe that Jesus is everything the Bible says he is, and we surrender our lives to him as our Lord, 
then he will be our Savior. And that's where it starts today. If you are with us today and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, maybe you've been trying to do this Jesus thing or this church thing. You've been trying to be a good person, hoping that that'll keep you in a good relationship with God. I want to challenge you today. It is not about you. It is all about him. And your first responsibility is to surrender your life to him. And from then, we will let God move in your life. If that is your desire today, we would invite you to do that. Joe is going to come up in a moment. We're going to sing one final song. And if you'd like to have a conversation with me about giving your life to Christ, we would invite you to do that this morning. Even if you don't come forward during the service, if you'd like to have a conversation about that, myself, Joe, Randy over here, and many other men and ladies in this church, probably the people you are here with, would love to talk to you about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But don't pass the buck on this one thing. Because it has to be Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we do praise you. God, we stand in awe of your goodness. But God, we recognize that you have made us with a purpose, on a purpose. And that means we have an obligation. We have responsibilities. And God, all of that starts with us giving our life to Jesus. God, I pray that if there is anyone in this room who has not given their life to Christ, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they surrender their life to you. Lord, I know for many of us, we have been in this room and we have been, and have been skirting those responsibilities that you've burdened our heart with, that there have been people that you've placed in our life to share Christ with, to build up, to encourage, to disciple, to, to grow and to see good things happen in their life, God. And we've just not been doing that because we've been doing whatever else it is. Lord, I pray that today is the day that a word like responsibility ceases being a bad word and starts being that which moves us and transforms people's lives. God, if we are a part of your kingdom, Lord, then we know that your kingdom wants to grow. And so, God, I pray that you will stir up our hearts to not only believe in Jesus, but also to move to see, his, to see his name go forth. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.